0: It's felt like a, a very nice day to be able to practice together, just to stop, take some time out, the, the uh, momentum of one's life, and just to uh, simplify and come into this uh, beautiful environment of Guy House, which uh, so many people have Come through and practiced here. I, I don't know how you found it, but I find this uh, meditation hall very um, still. Actually, not necessarily the mind's always still, but there's a great stillness here. And of course, before the um, before it became Guy House, it was a, a nunnery. So, I imagine a lot of spiritual practices gone on here for a long time on this land. And that's a, that's a great support to, to be able to tune into that, to sense that, that one isn't alone. There's a lot of, uh, in, in the very earth itself here, in the land itself, there's a, a lot supporting this kind of investigation into the contemplative <laughs> Classically, in the in the Buddhist teaching, there's uh, three motivations to undertake the journey of awakening. The first one is to do with being motivated by the the desire just for uh, some kind of uh, improvement in our lives, whether it is the wish for for health or more empowerment or more well-being, more confidence, more understanding, to focus on a, a positive outcome. And there's a, a great deal that's on offer that, in the uh, spiritual marketplace that responds to that intention, that desire, that motivation. Generally speaking, the, the second... Level of motivation begins to emerge when we realise that the journey of awakening, uh, the contemplative path, involves having to engage that which isn't so comfortable, it isn't so positive. And engage the, the experience of the mind and heart, and how we how we are, how we feel, what our life is, and that. Uh, a sense of beginning to accept that to, to grow, to mature spiritually, we, we need to engage the, the suffering <coughs> of life or the shadows, psychological shadows, if we talk in those terms, of our self-structure. And so, this this second motivation is usually defined as a desire for personal salvation. We see, still see, this, the world very much in terms of myself, and my happiness, and my wish to alleviate the experience of suffering in some way. And that's a often a strong motivation that carries us into this kind of a practice. And the third. Motivation called bodhijita, which is awakens out of the de- de- deepening of insight, the depth of insight, where we begin to understand that the sense of ourselves as an individual is um, is an approximation; it's not an actual reality. uh, As we look more into the the individual self-structure or the way that we understand or feel ourselves, we start to notice that there's a a lack of inherent solidity. We can't really find a core that we can uh, claim as ourself. As we enter that reality more, into the innate lack of solidity or the... Uh, it's called the emptiness, the shunyata, of the inner sense of our world and the outer sense of the world, the fact that everything's changing and moving. Then we begin to understand that actually the sense of our individuality is uh, linked up and connected with a a flow of interconnected processes. So, this... um, this is a more patient motivation, in a way, because at the heart of it we realize that you know, we're not really going anywhere, That uh, here we are, we're here. And that, yes, there is suffering, but there's also a, a dimension of our, our being, our reality that's interconnected with everything else. And there's no beginning and no end of that. So, this, this motivation is called one where we begin to have a connection with, with compassion, the, the sense of we're not just here alone, there are, there's, there's suffering, there's others that suffering. And it's said that as this arises in the heart through our understanding that this has a, a lot of energy to sustain our practice. The other motivations can be strong, but they can also be a bit more fickle or lacking in some endurance. So it's interesting, isn't it, to consider what motivates us. This is just a very briefly outlining a, a classical Mahayana teaching on, on motivation. But it's interesting for us to more personally consider what brings us into this kind of experience, uh, what fuels us, what, what, what helps to support our curiosity and in our inquiry. for myself and my own journey that uh, some of that motivation came from an an utter sense of of meaninglessness in a way. Just growing growing up and feeling alienated or a lack of soul a lack of connection. So some of the desire in my practice or in my meditative contemplative life has to been to want to find placement or belonging or meaning. To uh, to to feel sense into a way of being more deeply connected within the flow of life with others with myself that wasn't necessarily conscious at the beginning a lot a lot what motivates us is usually pretty unconscious and then gradually we might get to unpackage what motivates us in our in our activity and in our choices (laughs) usually quite a few years down the line after we've done it so <laughs> oh that's what that was about <laughs> but to to recognize that for for many of us I don't think I'm alone in that kind of a motivation I've seen you know something that we share in, in our modern societies where we we grow up often in very alienated ways with strong emphasis on our individuality being shaped as an individual that's in some way unconnected to something larger than itself, you with know, a disintegration of so much that used to hold—a more extended family or more sense of belonging or placement within geographically—and a lot of that's shifted and been broken and and. Uh, And uh, without that deeper sense of holding and connection, this emphasis on who I am as an individual becomes very strong because that becomes the the place where we find our belonging, the the shape I take as as me. And if we have a good day, that's all right. (laughs) But, (laughs) But it's very fragile, isn't it? Because it can so easily turn into the opposite, where we can you know, really not feel that good about ourselves, and then our whole world crashes. There's nothing stronger to hold us, nothing bigger to connect us. And, uh, you know, we have a, now really a, just a cultural assumption that this is a reality, that, that we are, we exist as individuals, We not only are we individuals, but we're special individuals. <laughs> we have to be increasingly more special, and Interesting, and you know, we get conditioned with these uh, you know, by by our names, by the families we are born into, the society, culture, and all of this we assume to be ourselves. Um, and more deeply, this lack of what I would just I would just call soul. Really, I know it's not a very kosher word to use in Buddhist circles, but this lack of uh, the heart finding a, a deeper connection or belonging, this is, you know, this is in a way a devastating experience. There's a devastation about it, there's a real pain about it, there's a real dislocation about it, and a, a lot of, if I reflect on my life, a lot of what I'm motivated from is somehow to try and heal that or absolve that in conscious and unconscious ways. And I think that's a strong motivation for me personally in in the contemplative path, to find my soul, (laughs) to find my root, to find my connection from a place of feeling completely the opposite, unrooted, unconnected. There's a poem here by, I just was, when I came on this retreat... Um, I realized when I read the write-up, because sometimes you write a write-up for these retreats, you know, like six or nine months before, Then, when you realize, my God, I said that, I was going to do that. I going to do poetry. <laughs> so anyway, that's great, because I love poetry. So tonight I was uh, looking through books, and I came across this poetry from Rilke, the German poet, who speaks so well to this existential ex- experience of this uh, Being pulled away from from our connectedness, our deeper connectedness. It's called the Blind Man's Song. I am blind. You outsiders, it's a curse, a contradiction, a tiresome farce, and every day I despair. I put my hand on the arm of my wife, colourless hand on colourless sleeve, and she walks me through empty air. You push and shove and think that you've been sounding different from stone against stone. But you are mistaken. I alone live and suffer and howl. In me there is an endless outcry and I can't tell what's crying, whether it's my broken heart or my bowels. Are the tunes familiar? You don't sing them like this, how could you understand? Each morning the sunlight comes into your house, and you welcome it as a friend. And you know what it's like to see face to face, and that tempts you to be kind. Unfortunately, you know, the poem moves through to a, a possibility at the end, <laughs> but that you know that real sense of devastation. That I love that line. I put my hand. On the arm of my wife, colorless hand on colorless sleeve, and she walks me through empty air. You know, that sense of complete, not even embodied, just somehow moving through these shapes and forms with no real embodiment. I alone, this is really the, this is the voice, isn't it, of that place in ourselves as an individual, that aloneness, that, you know, that sense of I, I'm alone in this. I live and suffer and howl. That sort of howl or that cry in me. There's an endless outcry, and I can't tell what's crying, whether it's in my broken heart or in my bowels. <laughs> very, very, you yeah. know, it says it. It Says it. What you know? Those those kind of spaces that that, that when we feel ourselves in you in, in know disconnection or an alienation that uh, you know, has that kind of inner experience, like the, the, in, in a, in a cry that often we're not really even hearing because we we're so strongly reacting to it, so I really like the way he just names it, you know, that's, that's part of the territory. Um In, the, in the, one, what I really have valued so much in the, in the, in the way of contemplation is that it does name, you know, this this kind of a inner sense of displacement and anguish. It, it allows us to find a name for it. It allows us to 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 acknowledge. You know, it allows us to bring that up and to really begin to able to engage that this is this is a, a part of the the underbelly of our special individuality. Is that there are moments within it where it's uh, it's uh, it's lost, the lostness. We don't know where we belong, and it is it is like that that feeling. There's a, a saying in the in the Tibetan school which I like very much: the the jīta becomes lost. The jīta, sorry, the heart, the mind, the soul becomes lost in the experience of samsara, and it suffers there. And so this this first movement, you know, as it, as we become our individual self. You know, and we, and we and we attempt to try and you know, shore up and strengthen and uh, place and bring pleasure to and enjoy and you know that first motivation. We attempt all of that, and and you know I think that's an important attempt to make with some hopefully reasonable results. But then there's always that sense of sometimes thin ice and just crashing through, the possibility of crashing through of moments of unguardedness or moments of crisis or moments of just feeling depressed. <laughs> you know? So that, that to be able to say in this, this teaching of the, the, the heart, the jita, the jitta, the mind, the heart, this word really does mean something like it's not just the mental activity it means more that sense of our core the sense of something that gets affected by the impingement of life, the impingement of thought, the impingement of feeling tone the sense of the meanness however ultimately and substantial that might be there's still that sense, isn't there of something that's receiving the impressions of life the, the jita, and it's that which, which gets laid and wounded. You know, the, the jita, the heart, the mind, doesn't really know itself, so it, it assumes, it gets lost in this experience of samsara. You know, constantly trying to find a shape, a place, a form, a moment of happiness, avoiding of pain. This is the activity of, of, the, of, the, of the lost mind, the lost heart it's uh, this constant seeking and in that process if we're lucky we'll suffer we'll know that we'll suffer consciously there's a very big difference from unconscious suffering which just leads to more pain and the moment of awakening that says this is painful (laughs) this hurts you know this this constant trying yeah. Just to acknowledge the, the, the heart, the soul lost in this experience of the Sangsara desi- the, the, the taste of it is just the, the constant sense of uncertainty in it. You know, a moment of feeling some solidity, it's all coming together, life is working really well and then underneath that maybe the, the, the anxiety that something's going to shift or move out of our control. So Sangsara is this feeling of you know things just always not really being that secure. So the heart, the mind can't find a security. So being able to say this is painful, this this hurts. So the, the mind, the jita gets lost in this experience of Sangsara and suffers there. The moment of awakening. Ajahn Chah who had a great influence in my life as a meditation teacher would try and bring his disciples to that (laughs) place of recognition of it's painful not because he was you know kind of a mean person but because he recognized that we we have to in a way to mature we have to somehow get to that place and stop sliding off the experience stop trying to patch it over or react to it you know, to, to be held and, and to be able to recognize and, and it doesn't have to be in a massively huge big way it can be in just moments and a lot of the contemplative way is just having moments of not trying to avoid as, as the poem said last night that beautiful poem I read about you know just Tonight I'm alone, facing the aloneness. You know, not just realizing it's a doorway. It's a doorway to something else. So to come to that moment of recognition, yes, there is here, you know, within the sense of myself, as an individual, trying the best I can, doing what I do, but still... There's something underneath that's anxious, a bit confused, a bit, just uh, dukkha, <laughs> first noble truth. Just this is, there is, there is, not not I am, but there is this experience in life. And that's you let's see. And the weariness that can come from constantly trying to move around that <coughs> core theme. You know, trying to avoid, trying to distract. So that that point Chah would consider as a mature, it's, it's not in, in our culture we think something's gone wrong and we you know, we, we need to quickly go on. You do some shopping therapy or something. <laughs> you know, go on holiday, or anything. But to uh, you know, it's a point of maturity, and it's a point that often will. It's a motivation that often will bring us into a into a process like this. You know, it's almost it's like that Zen thing, isn't it? Against the wall. You know, where do you move now? You've tried all the moves, and I, and I find it interesting in our society that. We've tried. We've tried everything, actually, in a way to to diminish this experience of of, of uh, anguish, of, of disconnect, of alienation, of suffering. You know, we've really we, we've really shaped our whole society around avoidance of that and a and a response to that. And there's still, in spite of that, there's even more heightened sense of soullessness so it's an interesting moment both individually and culturally when we, we don't have many more moves to make so then this, in this teaching this Tibetan teaching the Jita gets lost in sangzah, it suffers there and then it works the third line heart, the mind works to alleviate that suffering you know there's something to do in that So this morning we were talking about this, the work, you know, and equating it with this the notion of a path activity rather than I've got to now make this heroic leap into some awakened state that I project and imagine away from what is here now that's so, you know, nothing much. Uh, it's not so much about the I that's doing it, that can do very much at all in a certain way, but it's just applying moments of path activity, moments of, of being here, moments of attention, moments of awakening, moments of noticing what generates this experience of struggle. So in the brilliant teaching of the Four Noble Truths, the Buddha said that, well, actually, in any moment, we can unpackage this, in some ways, it's quite simple. In some ways, it's very it's very uh, deeply embedded, ingrained. So, although it's quite simple, it's not easy necessarily. But in any moment, we re- the ignorance of the mind, the mind or heart, really in a state of lack of clarity, in a state of reactivity, generates generates this particular kind of struggle through just basically not being able to accept the way life is. Or as Ajahn Chah would put it very simply, wanting something that's, that's, that's uh, not here and not wanting what's here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's constantly, isn't it, the movement. You know, I want something that's not here, and boy, I do not want once want, want what's here so so it's not that we need to to crush or destroy but we just need to illuminate that movement of the mind because that's the core that's what that's the sort of the mechanism of this sangsaric experience because it's always agitating around this present moment it's never able we're never able to really access the sense of easefulness There's always that reactivity around just being here so. Moments of illuminating that, it's the contemplative way, it's like this I'm here, and part of me wants to be somewhere else, and the other part's not really here. <laughs> so, this is how it is. So, please start by just acknowledging, and then, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Rather than judging it, it's interesting. moments of beginning to see those patterns, there's those a habit really, it's just an unconscious habit that we've assumed we can become shaped by, and just perhaps not being you know, so activated by that, moments of just allowing the mind not to be shaped by that movement, maybe a possibility to recognize something in this present moment that has a connection that has a possibility for belonging, that has a possibility for integration, that has a possibility for tasting something that's nourishing, enriching. So in this stanza from this teaching, the, the mind gets lost in samsara. it's the mind that gets lost in saksara, suffers there, begins to work to alleviate that suffering, and then it does that through moments of recognizing its own nature. The heart, the jitta, begins to have moments of recognizing, actually, when it's not in a state of reactivity, it's not pushing and pulling at the moments of what's here, wanting something different, not wanting what's here, projecting an ideal out, how it should be, condemning how it is, how I am. There's moments, moments, maybe just very fleeting moments at first, but moments of just softening enough for the heart, for the mind to recognize its own capacity for presence, for being. And at first, it feels like oh, that's not much, is it? Because we're so used to something, you know, activated and shaped into our strong sense of me being something or becoming something. That's quite hard. On a meditation retreat, this is quite a short little retreat we're doing, which is nice. But if you continue on, what's quite difficult is we don't really become very much in a retreat. <laughs> <laughs> so you can hear all those parts of oneself that. You know, you feel like, well, I'm not really doing very much because I'm, we, usually, we usually measure ourselves, don't we, by what we produce, particularly in our culture, so strong, what we've achieved, what we produce, what we become, our projects, our aims, our ambitions, and so on, our contact, our relationships. It's a lot of how we define ourselves, and all of that is not to say that's not very positive and helpful, but it's also something about that that. doesn't often allow us to just notice the quality of, well, what are we, what's happening when we're not all of that? You know, can, can there be moments of just, of just uh, honoring the capacity to just be, <laughs> might not be big moments, but just moments. as that that begins to grow having moments of just recognizing the heart as it begins to unbind itself from the identification and movement into this constant sense of needing to move to something else, avoiding what's here, the moments that the heart just releases and is able to taste the quality of peacefulness in that stillness, in that expansiveness, in that timelessness, in that lucidity, in that intuitive connectedness, in that it's a moment of beginning to recognize that underneath the separative, the sense of separative consciousness that we operate from as an individual, the sense of me and you, there's something that's more unitive. There's something that's more connecting us. There's something more interwoven. We're in a, a field, in an in a inter, interwoven connectedness. We're not separate. That's just the designation of how perception and thought. Yes, we are, of course, on one level, but more deeply. And it's it's in the practice of awareness that we actually begin to, when we more operating, although the mind, the heart begins to trust and recognize this possibility, to just dwell in a very simple state of awareness. As I was saying last night, it's not very easy for us at first because in a way it's a state of unknowing. It's not that there's no knowing in it. There's intelligence, there's knowing, there's potentiality, but it's a state of, in a way, it's always a state of unknowing because when the knowing is that which we're shaped into. So it's a state of openness, unknowing. It's hard at first to tolerate that, but as we get to actually recognize and learn to trust that as a core while being rather than our individuality and our structures, however fascinating and wonderful and separate and special they are, <laughs> and scintillating and yeah, how much uh, drama we manage to produce from <laughs> from the sense of me and you, <laughs> and uh, how wonderful it all is and devastating it all is and horrible it all is and beautiful it all is. But underneath that, when the, in the what seems at first nothing much coming into trust, the capacity to orientate our being from a place of awareness. It's a a place more of of connectedness, of unitive, a place we begin to feel our non-separation, our oneness with it all, you know, we're not really going anywhere. And this, in this, this stanza, this Tibetan stanza, the first line, if you remember, was "It's the it's the the heart, the jita, the mind that gets lost in samsara, that it suffers there, that it works to alleviate that suffering, that it rec- begins to recognize its own nature as primordial awareness, as that which is always present, here and now, can only ever be present here and now. And then from that base of sensing and being with the interconnectedness of everything, the, the response you know the response is not so much from the alienated place, but being able to feel well, it's a more intuitive response. I'm connected and, and involved can interconnect with all beings, all things and from that place allowing a response to emerge, whatever that response may be. And in that stanza, that's the response of Bodhijita. That's the heart of Bodhijita. It's the heart that knows, you know, that, that, uh, the interconnection. It's not going anywhere. That's wishing really to to alleviate and to respond to the suffering in whatever way that's possible. Now, first in terms of. Cultivating the sense of path that can feel like, well, that's a big movement. But I think, as in in a contemplative path, it's not so much like one big movement, or I think it's shifts that we can learn to do in each moment. Shifts from when we feel ourselves to be caught in that feeling of moving into what we want, resisting what's here into that simple movement of just relaxing, being here, and getting a sense of, of that quality of presence, that quality of beingness, that quality of awareness, and not divorcing that away from the sense of integration and connectedness with the whole, with all others. And in a way, there's not really any others <laughs> from the, in that space I think that space of response that the heart connected with its own intuitive awareness is uh, articulated very beautifully in the quote of uh, Master Hua. So I'd like to finish with that tonight. I'm just trying to remember it actually why so I'm going a bit quiet. It will come, <laughs> hopefully. The heart, the undivided heart is isn't operating from the sense of dualism the sense of getting anywhere the sense of time but rooted more in its own presence which is what in a way the contemplative journey is evolving us into encourages the, encouraging us into the undivided heart in, is not you know, some alienated space, but a truly deeply connected place of response. And we Must I well put it like this he said, All beings are my family. My name is empty and formless. Empty space is my university. Kindness, compassion, equanimity, and joy are my function. Missed a line there, but this sense of, you know, it's, it's you know, here we all are. All mm-hmm. beings are my family, there's no. You know, that, and I think that's the, in a way for me, that's part of the process of being alienated and disconnected. In our present times, and having to grow as a consciousness to recognise, I think mean, that's one thing that's happening. That we're not, we're we're all, in a way, perhaps family isn't a good word in our modern psychological terms. <laughs> I mean, it's worked for Chinese master, but you know, in a way, there, we are in in you know, increasingly so interconnected, and we're so aware of that. My name is empty and formless. Our true nature, when we get these names, we get designated in certain shapes and forms, but in fact, our true nature is very fluid, formless. We don't really have, ultimately, a name. Empty space is my university. Wherever we are, we can learn, we can reflect. Every place, every moment is a place of... of cultivation of learning growing and my function my response the, the heart's own natural response is uh, is a sense of kindliness which is where we landed up in that poem with Rilke which I appreciate that he did get, at least get to that possibility of compassion the wish to alleviate pain joy to be to stay connected with that which is wholesome and good in life, not just getting down about how bad it all is, but that quality of joy is really a commitment to see the good in ourselves, in each other, in this world, through whatever is coming down, whatever's happening, and most profoundly equanimity, to cultivate a heart that can be equal Not, not feeling, but being able to realize that whether it's joyous and beautiful, whether it's dark and difficult, these are all things that we can meet in life. In its depth, the equanimity is really allowing for each moment within ourselves, within others, within the way the world is unfolding to be seen as just as it is in its own perfection, in its own reality. This is, uh, actually I'm going to give the last few words to Rokan, great, beautiful Zen monk poetry. Mm. Too lazy to be ambitious. I let the world take care of itself. Ten days' worth of rice in my bag, a bundle of twigs by the fireplace. Why chatter about delusion and enlightenment? Listening to the night rain on my roof, I sit comfortably, with both legs stretched out.